like to welcome everyone back to the Duck Pond Wall, a show here on WEHC where we sit down as if we were sitting on the Duck Pond Wall and catch up with a friend. And I am so excited that the friend who is joining me tonight is Brooklyn mm-hmm. Sawyer's Bell, Emory Henry Class of 2002. Brooklyn, thank you for being with us tonight. Thank you. We were off to a good start until you said my graduation year. I, I keep that very close to the vest, ma'am. <laughs> Listen, let me tell you, if it makes you feeling better, while I was taking a walk just now, I did the math. I can totally be your mom. <laughs> totally. You've been a very young mother. Oh, that's a nice thing to say. <laughs> just saying. Well, I'm, I'm excited to speak to you. I'm always happy to speak to you, but I'm especially excited to talk to you tonight because you have just taken on a huge new position in Knoxville, and I want to talk about it a little bit. You are the first ever Deputy Chief of Professional Standards for the Knoxville Police Department. Is that right? That's what they tell me. <laughs> that is that is nuts. And I, and I'm here's what I'm going to say right off the bat, because I'm old enough to be your mother. This is a huge job. Why is this something you wanted to take on? Well, that's a good question. And candidly, when I was first approached about it, I declined the opportunity. But as the mayor and chief of police discussed the opportunity with me, I began to believe that I could add value. I have spent most of my career working in the area of criminal law, and the majority of that time has been working with law enforcement, local, state, and federal. I also am a part-time law professor, and I teach things like constitutional law and criminal law, and believe that my almost 20 years of experience at this point lends itself well to working with law enforcement and making sure that the the police department is in full compliance with criminal and constitutional law. Yeah, so that is the job then, what you just, that last part, that is the job. Yes, it is. And just making sure that the department is following the standards and within the guidelines of the law. It is, but I would make it even more simplistic than that. People who sign up for this dangerous and often thankless job want to do the right thing in large part. And giving them the tools and resources to do so, making sure they understand the law, policies and procedures, and giving appropriate and timely training helps them do that. So I look at myself as a helpmate. Is this a a reactive position or a proactive position? I definitely would identify it as proactive. Obviously, there's been lots of conversations around the nation involving police reform, but this is a position that um, has been around in various departments in the nation for a long time, including Nashville and New Orleans, to name just two. And it is the city's leadership stab at making sure our police department has the resources that it needs to be successful. Yeah. Do you feel, is the mayor someone who's kind of kind of um, progressive and interested in, in making a real difference here? Absolutely. I definitely believe that personally. And she also has ran on that platform. She's up for re-election again this year. And I think progressive is an appropriate word to describe her wanting to be proactive and ensure that um, bad things do not happen to the citizens of Knoxville. And the citizens include the police force. Yeah. And that's that's kind of the tough part to, in my mind, it's going to be the tough part to, to sort of handle because you want it to be good for everybody you sort of had a the magic wand, but how would you see the police department and the community working at its, at its best self? 
Well, in Knoxville, we have an organization called the Police Advisory Review Committee, known as PARC, and they are designed to help bridge that gap between the police department and the community. Sometimes we lose um, touch um, with people who aren't doing the same thing as us. Communities are quite diverse. What West Knoxville needs is not what East Knoxville needs or the business district. And being able to see things from diverse perspectives is very important. Seeing the community and police department work together um, and both be them best selves, I think really speaks to being able to understand each other's positions. Law enforcement um, deserves respect. Um, they keep our community safe. And I've not met a person that doesn't want a safe community, period, um, regardless exactly. of what right. background. Um, and the community also wants um, their rights, their culture respected and understood by city leaders. And that includes law enforcement. So just making sure both sides continue to have that in the forefront of their mind. Yeah. So when you you started already, did you start just this week, right? started last week so I've been on the job for a week and two days (laughs) well then well then well then you're old hat at this sort of thing (laughs) you're just a pro so what what do you do what's I can't imagine it's like I'm trying to figure out like how to tackle an elephant in my mind so what do you do the first few days in office to sort of get started I'm on a listening tour and by that I mean there are people who've been in the police department since 1791 when it started. Ha, ha, ha. Not that long, <laughs> but for a very long time. And they're very intelligent people who do a good job. And setting back, watching, taking notes, listening, asking people, how can I best help you? What do you need? Where are there gaps? What policies don't match practice so that I can start with a base of knowledge? But not just doing that inside the police department, but also doing it outside those four walls. When you have a business like the police department that's been around literally since 1791, there's like Emory and Henry College, it's been around a very long time. There's a tendency to become institutionalized. People mm. with similar backgrounds are there. And And we influence one another, and that can result in groupthink. So getting outside those four walls and also asking the perspective of others, like the city law director, who's the attorney for the city, asking people in the mayor's office who are part of that administrative team, asking ordinary citizens that I encounter on the street, colleagues, neighbors, pretty much anyone that's willing to talk to a stranger, (laughs) and ask them those questions to really start this with a sufficient knowledge base to be helpful. Do you find that people are, are sort of happy to have those questions asked? Absolutely. Generally speaking, um, most people have an opinion about most things. <laughs> <laughs> I've and, noticed that. <laughs> and how law enforcement can best function is certainly on that list of things that people tend to be opinionated about. There's a lot that's happened around the country that's been phenomenal involving law enforcement, lives saved, drugs seized. But there's also been some things in the news that are less desirable. And as a result of both the good, the bad, and that which falls in the middle, people have lots of opinions about it. And people have been quite frank with me um, that about their views about law enforcement. Yeah. So how long does the listening tour go? My goodness, I feel like you're, you don't have time to talk to everybody in Knoxville. It's kind of a big town. <laughs> That's true. 
I am going to continue to set back and observe, and I, will, of course, will add value where, where I can if I'm asked a, a question and um, it's something that, that I can opine on or weigh in on or give an answer to now, I will. But I just want to make sure that I'm operating with a sufficient knowledge base and getting to know the department before I get into the department's business. I think that this will last for, for a while, and then we will begin to transition. And let me go back. And during that listening tour, I'm also doing a lot of reading. There's a number of policies and procedures, and part of this job description involves reviewing those and giving the chief guidance and advice on things that maybe could be updated or worded different. And I'm continuing to do those things also. And um, I think it's uh, one of those things you'll know it when you see it, when it's time to transition to the to the next phase of implementation. Right. right. Well, and you know, as an attorney, you know, you were talking about doing all that reading that just makes my head hurt to think about it. But you're an attorney, so I know you're used to that sort of thing. I did notice that, and I didn't realize you had been doing this, that you've been doing some training that's been part of your experience. What, what sort of training did you do previously? Well, all kinds. Going back, I have a teacher spirit. So you can tell Dr. Wells, he could really just steal me away at any time he wants. And I can come <laughs> be a full professor because that's where my, my heart really is. I really have a teacher spirit. Even when I practice law, um, I tend to do it in a, in a teaching type way. But my training dates back to early parts of my career. When I was with the United States Department of Justice, I ran a program called Smart on Crime. It was an initiative under President Obama and Attorney General Holder that focused on alternative reactions to crime, how to reduce the recidivism rate and reduce the school to prison pipeline. And I would go around um, the Eastern District of Tennessee. So Greenville, Chattanooga, Knoxville, and talk to any stakeholders who would listen and educate them on that. The Tennessee Highway Patrol is Tennessee State Law Enforcement Agency, and I would do their in-service training, and I would leave Knoxville and drive to Nashville and provide that training on basic criminal law things. I did that for a long time as a federal hmm. prosecutor. I have a background from working at the United States Department of Justice in Washington, D.C., where I worked on electronic surveillance cases. And there's a lot of nuances to that. People call it a super search warrant. And I've done lots of training around the country for different groups on that, including the National Black Prosecutors, which is the only group in the country dedicated to the success and diversity of prosecutors that I know of anyway, um, um, to other U.S. attorneys offices and provided that training to federal prosecutors and law enforcement. I also work with the International Narcotics Interdiction Association. That's a mouthful. I N I A. I'll be going to Austin with them later this year, where I provide training to officers from around the world, literally come to that. It's a phenomenal group. They do a great job. And I've provided training there and a number of others. I've done training for Roan County uh, Sheriff's Office and really just uh, the DEA. Um, I did some wiretap training for them back in Orlando, and I still have some friends that attended that training. It's really important to me because I, this is going to sound corny, perhaps, <laughs> or a cliche. I'm a little, my family tells me I'm very corny, um, but I'm admittedly a little corny. Reading really is the key to knowledge. And I believe we all want to do the right thing. Mm -hmm. We want to know how to do the right thing. And I can spare you reading all those law books and those uh, <laughs> Supreme Court decisions. Thank you. This Thank you for that. Summarize it in a few hours and give you all the updates. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, I tell you, having just seen you as a speaker for our MLK Day, um, I would say that you were very good at doing that very thing. And one of the things that I enjoyed was watching, because you're doing some adjunct work at Emory Henry right now, right? What what class are yes. you teaching for Emory Henry? Racing United States Supreme Court. It's a course that I created um, back in 2008 originally for Emory and Henry. I've taught it elsewhere and in other forms and actually reduced it to training. I forgot to mention that earlier, but I have some diversity, equity, and inclusion officer background thrown in my career, and I'm proud of that work, and I've done that training for the Tennessee Supreme Court's administrative office and a bunch of other legal groups, but I'm teaching that course. Well, it was cute because um, at the end of your presentation, some of your students kind of like, you know, rushed the stage, like, you know, like you were you know, like you had just finished a concert because they all wanted to get a little closer to you. And it just made me happy to see them respond to you. They were all smiling and happy to see. And, you know, if if you're that faculty member that you're terrified of, you don't do that. You just kind of run out the back door. And so that made me happy to, to see how they responded to you. I thought that was great. I appreciate that, Monica. And I will just say, you know, throughout our careers, we do lots of things and we all do some things we wish we could do differently. And we all get some accolades. And, um, for me, Two of the things I'm most proud of, most significant in my entire career, has been being adjunct professor of the year twice at the University of Tennessee College of Law. I've said it already, but it bears repeating. I love teaching. It's important to me. And to feel like my students not only are learning something from me, I per- perhaps, but also have an enjoyable relationship to some degree um, with me really warms my heart to have the opportunity to sew into young people, the people who are coming behind us, the future of the the country. Again, another another thing that might sound a little corny, but I really believe that these people will be our future presidents and senators, Congress people, lawyers and doctors. And just to play a super small part of that is very significant. I don't take it for granted. I'm very grateful. Well, I have to be corny now and mm-hmm. and and lead you to talk a little bit about your time at Emory and Henry because you were a great student when you were here and you know, did you think, did you always plan on going into law or did you think about maybe being a teacher? Well, I'm going to be totally transparent with you. And I'm going to say that there was a time early in my life when I didn't believe in myself the way that I have grown to over the years. And I was um, not going to pursue going to law school because I wasn't certain if it was in within my reach. And let me explain that a little bit. I'm from the Blue Ridge Mountain Range of Appalachia from Southwest Virginia. It is not the most wealthy part of the nation. Um, I am first generation educated and being the first to do anything is challenging. There's not a road. It's not easy to reach out and say, I know someone like me who did this thing. And without that, it can become kind of daunting figuring it out. Sure, we have lots of information readily available to us as we've commented. Reading is, in fact, the key to knowledge, and it's out there. But when you don't have someone that's gone before you, that's close to you, that's done it, it can be very daunting. So long story short, I wasn't positive that I was going to be able to go to undergrad at all. And then I went and then it was like, I don't know, maybe I should go to grad school and get a master's (laughs) degree and teach history because I'm not sure I can do law school. And um, I had some great people in my life. Jack Roper was a professor at Emory and Henry College for many years. He was my academic advisor and he believed in me. And he came to me towards the end of my time at Emory and Henry. And he said, Brooklyn, you're too smart to settle for working um, whatever job I was going to work. He said, please go to graduate school. And it was really literally on his pleadings. And he would later tell me his prayers. He really believed uh-huh. in me. That I decided to go to graduate school and literally setting in my master's degree program, I remembered the moment when I thought, 
I'm smart enough to go to law school. I'm going. <laughs> and I sat for the LSAT and, and uh, went to law school and the rest is history. Um, growing up, I really admired Claire Huxtable, a fictional character on the uh, Cosby show. She was part of the Huxtable family played by Felicia Rashad. Right. And I just thought she was amazing. And she was the first black attorney I'd ever seen or knew. And I wanted to be like Claire. <laughs> we all did. I mean, we all did. <laughs> <laughs> Carry that briefcase <laughs> and, um, you know, wear those suits and, yeah. and be able to help people. And um, I'm grateful for people like Jack Roper and many others. I've had a lot of people help me, you included, that somebody pushed me along that that road. So to answer your question in short form, yes, I always wanted to be one, but no, I wasn't confident of that path or how to get there. This has nothing to do with your job, but I'm because you said that, I'm going to ask you a question because I struggle with this all the time. Why is it that it's so much easier for somebody else to see your worth than it is to see your the worth within yourself? Because I see kids struggle with that every day. Every day, and kids, kids who I look at and go, if I had just about this much of those good looks or those brilliant, those brilliant thoughts, what I can do, and and yet they don't feel it, they don't see it. I don't know yeah. what that is. The bad things are easier to believe. It takes a faith walk. It takes a it takes a hope and a and a faith and a grit deep down in you to put yourself out there and run the risk of rejection and failure. And it's easier to shy away from those things because that which you can see and which is in reach seems easier and more accomplishable. But my life has taught me that settling for those things is actually not easier because that can be more painful than taking the risk. And maybe you will fail. I have I have failed and fallen down a number of times, but I think that that's part of it. Whenever you're launching out and wanting to be different or do different, sometimes it's hard for the people around you to share that vision. I'm a person of faith and maybe what God put in my heart, God didn't give you that vision. So you can't get on board, right? You, you don't see um, the things that, that have been re revealed to me spiritually or put on my heart. And but it's not for you to know. Right. It's for, right. for me to know. But I think sometimes those negative voices around us can be so so loud that it has a real impact on us. And then you meet someone that thinks different, right? And then that person can can change your life. For me, um, you know, that that's happened a, a, a number of times. I'll, I'll give one small example and say my bishop is Joseph Walker of Mount Zion Baptist Church. And he has tremendous faith, the kind of faith that moves mountains. And he believes and he believes big when there's when there's nothing there. Wow. And being able to watch that manifestation of faith has really been able to to help me get over those negative voices and press forward. I love that. I, I didn't mean for you to be my motivational speaker today, but, <laughs> but I, you do inspire me and I do admire you an awful lot. So I appreciate you being willing to answer that question. Thank I you. want to remind everybody that we're speaking today with Brooklyn Sawyers Belk, Emory Henry class of 2002, who has just taken a job in Knoxville as the first ever Deputy Chief of Professional Standards for the Knoxville Police Department. We've got just a few minutes left. What, what is it that you most hope can happen with in this position? I mean, it's, brand, it's brand new. No one's had this, this job before. So it's not like they're going to say, well, you didn't do it like the last one because there wasn't anybody else. So, so you get to really be the one who carves out what this is going to be. So what I guess what is it that you most hope can happen? I'd like to leave it better than I found it or at least not leave it worse, right? That, that's not the legacy any of us want to leave. But all jokes aside, I want to help move the ball forward into the decades ahead. The 
police department has some policies and procedures that are dated. I'd like to take a fact-based, legally sufficient view of those things, looking at best practices around the nation and help bring us forward to where things are current and based on what we're seeing in our community today. I would like the men and women of the department to remember that I worked with them and not against them to make their job easier to do. I'd like the community to know that I was a voice for the community. I didn't see things in a cookie cutter way, but I could understand and empathize the community's perspective outside the institution of the police department. And if I can leave with that reputation, I would feel very good about my time in the role. I, I'm an attorney, right, and, and a professor, and I will find my way back to one of those more traditional things. I told the chief and the mayor that from the beginning I won't be in this role long term, but I hope to get them started on a path that is sustainable. Well, that's interesting that you admit that this may be not something you want to do for a long time. And that, that kind of makes me <laughs> that kind of makes me happy for you because that, that makes me feel like, you you know, you're going to have a chunk of time yes. to try to get some things done and then not feel like you're going to have to live there forever and ever. And it actually, I think, helps with perspective. Right. Um, I told someone just today I'm maybe the only person in the entire department or city government, for that matter. I'm not jockeying for the next position or promotion. I'm the only civilian, right? (laughs) (laughs) But in the leadership team, um, I'm there to serve a purpose for a time. And and I recognize that. But it also helps um, me with with my perspective on things. As you're having this listening tour, are there things you're already finding that you can celebrate? Oh, absolutely. One thing that I'm super impressed with is almost every officer I encounter has 15, 20, 25, 30, 35, 40 years plus of service. Wow. That tells me someone, the prior leaders and the current leadership, Chief Noel, is doing something very right. Because in Mm -hmm. today's world, people don't hang around that long. They just don't. There's lots of options. We have a robust economy. Generally speaking, people have choices. They can go to other places. Right. People have been there so long and are dedicated and committed to making this community a great place to live. And Knoxville's a very safe city and uh, by comparison. Um, that tells me a lot of great things about the department. Chief Noel came to us from the New Orleans Police Department. He's got hmm. he, not only service there, but serving nationally on committees and with well-respected groups and organizations. So he brings a knowledge of best practices and understanding that I think is very important. So you have a chief who's on the inside, but also has some outside perspective. I think that's very valuable. But the rest of his command staff, the deputy chiefs, the captains, his assistant chief, they are people who've been in the Knoxville Police Department for centuries if you combine all their service. So I'm very impressed with that and how that leadership structure is designed. Last, I will add that I understand from media that there are some cities where the mayor and the chief are not on the same page um, or even the city attorney or the district attorney. And that can lead to some disruption, right? Mm -hmm. Things don't And in this city, um, the mayor is very supportive of the chief. 
everybody works well together, whether it's District Attorney General Sharm Allen or the City Attorney Charles Swanson, everybody works well together. Not yes people, right? You can disagree, but they work well to make sure Knoxville is the best place it can be. And I'm very appreciative of that. When I took this position, the mayor gave me her word that she would be supportive of me in the role. And it meant a lot to me to hear that from an elected official. Yeah. Well, um, how long have you lived in Knoxville? I went to law school in Knoxville. Um, so I was here for three years then. And then I returned to Knoxville in 2012. Um, had a lot of years working right. in the community and working with Knoxville. Right. So, well, and I was going to say, it's kind of, a, I mean, of all, I'm not a big city person, but I've always liked Knoxville. Yes. You know, Tennessee's a, a great place. Tennessee's a great place to live. Um, Knoxville's a great city. There's a lot to offer here, including the university here, but there's also theater. There's the Great Smoky Mountain National Park. Um, my children love going into the park and seeing <laughs> the bears, which we took us a long time to finally see a bear. But going Did you finally park, get to see a bear? Yes, we took pictures and it really meant a lot to our family. But, you know, Tennessee as a whole is great. It's not very different than Southwest Virginia, where where I grew up, where you are. Um, Chattanooga is a great thriving city. Nashville's phenomenal. I spent a lot of time in Nashville. Memphis is a great city. So it really has a lot to offer. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you're in Knoxville. I, you know, that it has special place in my heart. Well, it's exciting to hear what you're doing. I'm not going to lie. It's daunting. In, you know, that like I said, the part of me that feels like your, your mother feels like I should be worried about you. But I don't worry about you because I've never known anybody more capable than you. And every time you open your mouth, you just brew that over again. So I just am excited for you. And I'm excited for the city to, to have your expertise. You're kind. And whenever I'm down on myself, you're going to be the first person I call. You're a great, <laughs> you're a great advocate. And I really you, appreciate your kind words. You've got my number. You know to text me. Let me let me end on this. I always ask everybody this. Um, of all the things that you did and experienced at Emory and Henry, do you have something from your college days that kind of follows you in your career? Maybe a class you took or um, maybe some, some for some time, times people will tell me it was like an extracurricular thing they were involved in. Was there something that you find yourself kind of referencing or going, I can't believe I still think about that or I can't believe that still is part of what I think about in my professional world? Yes, ma'am. A couple, couple of things. One I've already mentioned is Dr. Roper and his influence on me. He wasn't just him. Samir Saliba was there for a long time. I'd say a hundred years. It felt like a hundred years, but he was there a long, long time. <laughs> and I had great mentors. Lois Williams was in the financial aid office and Lois yeah. that I'm in touch with today. <laughs> um, and they just, they cared deeply. They stuck with me. They followed my career years after I left. I got a Valentine's Day card in the mail in February from Dr. Roper. I I mean, these people are part of my life and just just sticking with people, seeing it through to the end. And I've ended up mentoring hundreds of students. And I, I got that from Emory and Henry mm -hmm. and understanding the importance that you can play in someone's life. The second thing I'll mention is I was an AmeriCorps and a Bonner Scholar, and that sticks with me. They are both service-based organizations. I did work in public schools, and I did work with the migrant population, with English as a second language, and it showed me the importance of service. And I can't recall a time since leaving Emory and Henry where I haven't been involved in some type of service. And it really is important um, to whom much is given, much is required. So whether, you know, for me, I've got some knowledge of some things, right? Well, that's something I can 
impart to someone else and share that and just using your time and your resources to to help other people in the community who who really need it right it can really make a big difference service so i think back to Stal, um, tal stanley and the folks on the bonner program and the difference it makes in addition it opens the door to higher education for the people who are bonner and americorps scholars which then makes education available to them so i can't speak highly enough about that program and that sense of the necessity of volunteerism i'm gonna let you end on that and that beautiful statement and we'll just we're just going to sit back and wait for you to finish your listening to her so we can see what you come up with but thank you so much for taking this time to speak with us tonight brooklyn sawyer's belt Emory and Henry class of 2002 and the first ever deputy chief of professional standards for the knoxville police department thank you for being with us this evening thank you so much and I want to thank everybody for being with us tonight on the Duck Pond Wall. Please keep listening to WEHC. It is, after all, the voice of Southwest Virginia. Mm-hmm.